For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi and welcome to the Two Robbies podcast, your destination for in-depth discussion and analysis of the Premier League and the Champions League. I'm Robbie Earl. There's no musty today. We've got an upgrade. My buddy Tim Howard's going to join me today and here are today's topics. More problems for Manchester United in Ole after defeat to Leicester. Chelsea barely holding on to take all three points at Brentford. Liverpool running riot at Vicarage Road against Claudio Ranieri's Watford. Manchester City cruising to victory over Burnley. And of course, how Newcastle fared in their first match under new ownership versus Spurs. That's what we've got coming up in today's episode. Okay, Mr. Howard, we're going to start the conversation, as we often do, with your former team, Manchester United, that um, obviously carries lots of emotion, lots of opinion, lots of social media interaction. Manchester United go away to Leicester City, um, score a couple of great goals in Mason Greenwood and Marcus Rashford back in the team, but concede four horrific, terrible goals from from a defensive point of view. Mm. And more pressure, it would seem, starts to fall on the shoulders of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I think we heard today from David Ornstein, our Premier League insider, who said that the news coming out of Manchester that he's got credit in the bank and all Mm -hmm. he's pretty good for now, but what's your take on Ollie? What's your take on Manchester United? Where are we moving forward over a period where they've got some of the big teams to play, Tim, yeah, and yeah. record not being great? Uh, lots of meat on that bone, Robbie. Yeah. Um, is he safe? Yeah, I, I think the I think the Manchester United board has prioritised to being in the top four as, as a good business model, and so you know they're there thereabouts at the moment. They're you know in sixth place to finish the, the weekend. Um, so if that's the benchmark, yeah, maybe he's got credit build up to be safe. I think, I think also though you and I both know this that you have that credit so long as you continue to trend upward. If um, results aren't going your way, they've got a big six games coming up. Big big six games. They play they play all the top teams. Um, so the proof's going to be in the pudding between now and Thanksgiving. Um, do I think they're title contenders? They could be uh, if if they catch um, you know lightning in the bottle. This team has to be better. Um, their midfield worries me. You know between Fred, Mitamane, uh, Matic, those aren't Premier League winning midfielders. I've said that before. Um, obviously Paul Pogba t- uh, um, on the weekend in order to fit that front forward and had to drop deeper. That's an experiment that we know doesn't work. His best position is wide on the left, and he can uh, have an interchange with, with Bruno Fernandes. So it's worrying. You know, it's worrying because, you know, for, for Manchester United fans, they expect more than, eh, we'll kind of falter in the league somewhere and, and, and finish top four. Now, for most teams, that's okay. You know, for Manchester United, they want trophies. They want to be competing for titles. Um so do I think he's safe to answer your question bluntly? Yeah, for now. Um, but I don't think the team's playing well. I think they, I think they, they concede too many goals. 
Uh, they're all, you know, they have this great record of, of, of points gained from from coming behind mm-hmm. in games. Manchester United shouldn't be coming and come behind that many yeah. games, and they do. And then you look at the weekend; they scored two goals, but they were sloppy. The four of the goals they conceded were just sloppy. There was no cover defensively. They couldn't clear their lines. Like this isn't the Manchester United we expect. We expect them to be on top of teams, and 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 Leicester really took them to it. I think what's good about the podcast, mate, is that we, you know, the shirt and ties are off, the, the formalities mm. at the studio, and we can get amongst it. And, and I'm kind of going to roll my sleeves up and get mm. amongst it with Ollie because as I watch games, and, and I did a little bit of work yesterday, went back, watched a few games, just some highlights of games and things. And I see Manchester United in this way. They win more games than often, and, and then they lose. Mm. They, they can attack and they can defend. Well, Manchester United can't, Manchester United can't do uh, for me, Tim. They can't control a football match. Yep. And when I talk about control, control has different variables. So control is sometimes having possession of the ball mm. and working the opposition. Control sometimes is taking a rest in possession. Like, mm. we've, we've had a little go. Now we'll keep the ball. We're good. We're safe. We, we can do that. Sometimes it, it's about controlling a, resu- uh, a score line. So you, you've mm-hmm. got yourself 2-1 up. Now we control the ball and we control... These different elements of control that I see at, at Liverpool, I see at Chelsea, and I certainly see at Manchester City, who are probably the best example of how they control the game with their possession. Manchester United do not have the ability to do that. Mm-hmm. And for me, the, the blame for that falls quite rightly on the shoulders of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Yeah. Because that's work that has to be done, that has to be ingrained on the training mm-hmm. ground. Mm-hmm. Now, either Oli isn't doing that work or he's not understanding that that work needs to be done. Yeah. I'm not sure which of those is true. But I watch Manchester United and there is no control of the football match. That's why when Aston Villa win a game, I'm not that surprised. Mm-hmm. That's when Everton get the duel. I'm not that surprised. When Leicester go and uh, Vardy scores a minute after they, they, they've scored at one end, I am not surprised because there's no control. There's never a position of comfort with Man United. But the ba- Yes, no but. The basis of that control, Robbie, that you're speaking of, comes from the centre of midfield, okay, in, in, in a couple of ways. Bruno Fernandes is a ball-dominant midfielder, so he wants to... He gets attracted to the ball, which he should because he's brilliant, both scoring and giving and, and assisting. Mm-hmm. At the base of that midfield, we think we think about Chelsea, Kovacic, Conte, Jorginho. The fullbacks can go as far; they can go beyond Lukaku because the two number sixes will sit in front of the, in front of the back four. They're willing to take the ball, use it, and when the play breaks down, don't worry, we'll stamp out the danger. Manchester United don't have that. Manchester United best players are. The back four and the front four. So when you talk about controlling a game, it has to come through more than often than not your center midfielder or your deep line midfielder. And I just mentioned Manchester United don't have that yet. So, so are you saying that with this squad that's, I assume we're talking an imbalance here. So mm-hmm. Johnny van der Beek is not that player. Um, Jesse Lingard, who's still at football club, is not that mm-hmm. player. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anthony Martial is not that player. So you've got peripheral players who... Yeah. You're saying not fit into that role, possibly could sell, could could raise some money, could get them off yeah. the wage bill yeah. and bring in. I mean, are, are we not saying so? We're basically saying this group of players, I think, are not going to be good enough to, to go close to winning the title. Well, no, because I, I, the player that I'm I'm talking about isn't at the football club yet. You know that 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 looks like a Declan Rice. It looks like someone who can maraud in that midfield. I, I hear you, mate. But <clears throat> I've got to but I, jump in. Just, sorry on this one. Is 
at day one, when we looked at that squad that mm. finished second, that has yeah. Varane, Sancho and Ronaldo in there, yeah. I think we all generally said, mm, this yeah. should go close. Yeah. What's changed then? What's changed? Because okay. there was no Declan Rice then. Yeah, 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 correct. I think there was a couple of cracks that needed papering over, which again, for me, is a center, that center midfield. Mm. I like the back. I, I, I like Shaw and McGuire and Varane and, and Basaka. I do. I like that back four. And I like David De Gea. Mm. I, I like that back four and goalkeeper. And I was hoping that with Sancho, who hasn't gotten off the mark yet, Greenwood, who's been fantastic, Ronaldo, who's been fantastic, Bruno, who we know is is sensational. You're hoping that th- this team can paper over those cra- cracks mask the, the, the imbalance, go score a bunch of goals, and, and this this back five can take care of the rest. What we've seen is there's been too much pressure on the back five. They haven't been able to clear their lines. They haven't been able to keep clean sheets at a rate that they should, a top team should. And I do, I just think they get exposed a little bit, one, in transition, but two, as you said, a lot of defending sometimes is controlling the tempo with the ball. You look at the best teams in the league, they, the way they defend is they defend with the ball and they make you chase. Manchester United's having to defend way too often for a top team. Yeah, you're right. Well, there's a lot of talk about Ollie's job and, and people yeah. saying he's safe and his credit in the bank. And, and it almost feels like, I wouldn't say being dumbed down, but the ambitions are not so long, so much about winning things now, but qualifying for, for Champions League, being top four. And we have to also remember in this argument, uh, before we, we, we just move on to talk about Leicester a little bit, we have to remember that there's a new big, there's a new big player in town. Mm. Right? There's Newcastle United that... I would say in the next five years are going to be yeah. top six team yeah. every year competing. And if Manchester United don't sharpen up their focus and start having a little bit more ambition, yeah. they're going to, they could find themselves on the outside yeah. of the big four. Well, yeah, sharpen up their focus, change their ambition, because why? There's a new player in town who's going to also say the bare minimum requirement for success mm-hmm. is Champions League. I mean, if you're Newcastle United, you said you're going to pump all this money and you're going to get top players and top managers, mm-hmm. the, the bare the bare minimum requirement is going to be Champions League. So that's another player who, who a real player in the game who can also take your spot. Right now, Champions League spots should go to the, the – uh, West Ham can go close, Leicester can go close. But if you're Man United, you're kind of safe. You're thinking – we, we should get fourth. We're, we're the fourth best team, at least. Another player comes into town. That's in real jeopardy. Just before we get to, to Leicester, just one final one on, on the Man United thing. And, and, you know, there was talk before the break that he, Ronaldo didn't play against Everton. It was, you know, someone saying it was fake. There was, there was reports that Sir Alex Ferguson was caught mm-hmm. saying, always play best team. Ronaldo did play in this game. Um, wasn't that affected, I have mm-hmm. to say, after the international mm-hmm. break. It's kind of showing signs that he's not happy with all that's going on. You see mm-hmm. one or two pictures after the games and, and maybe little look towards the, the, the bench during yeah. games. Yeah. Should, should we keep an eye on, on this one? Is, 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 is there something, could there be something brewing if things don't pick up? Yeah, I mean, not just based off of the recent performance. Mm-hmm. Um, we should always have, kept, you know, we all, always talk about keeping an eye on this because this, you know, re, if it goes really good or really bad, it's going to be it's going to be newsworthy. And yeah. look, I don't think he was sensational on the weekend, but he had a few little little half chances. That's what Ronaldo does. That's what he scores on. You know, sometimes he scores a brilliant goal, but a lot of times he's just that fox in the box who gets on the end of things. And he, he was, he, you know, but for a, a couple of uh, saves and that he would have had a goal. But yeah, this if Ronaldo's a proud man, he, he's won titles for Manchester United. Yeah. He's considered the greatest player of all time. You know, or one of. 
he's not going to take this four goals against and, and, and dropping down the league lightly. So, yes, there's going to be problems within that dressing room, within that club, if Ronaldo's not happy. And he's only happy when he's winning and scoring. So, yes, watch this space. Absolutely. Uh, just a little bit, bit of love for, for Leicester because it's been a difficult start yeah. to the season for them. Lots of injury problems, lots of rotation of players. But I know our, our very own Danny Higginbottom has, has, a, has a lot of um, respect <laughs> for Mr. Johnny Evans, who was back in the team. And Danny's made sure we realise it with Evans back, Leicester get a result. I think it's just the vocal manner and, and the way that he can organise a, a back line. Siunchu just looks better, more more comfortable when Evans is back there. And up the other end of the pitch, you've got Jamie Vardy, the Peter Pan of the Premier League, just yeah. seems to get better and better. Um, and Patson Dacca got an important goal, I thought, for, for Leicester as well on, on the far post. So, um, more encouraging signs for, for Brendan. Is he starting to get one or two more yeah. players back? Leicester are a team that I enjoy watching because they're they're never far off the pay. Brendan Rodgers preaches performance. Let's perform within within this framework that we know how we we can, and then the results will come. And and, and they haven't been up to speed. I, I think Madison and Barnes have been off the pace. We've been we've been like hoping for them to to you know again come of age and, and say okay no more sophomore slump let's go. And they haven't done that yet, but. Jamie Vardy at some point is going to stop scoring goals. I don't know when, but he, he'll, he'll stop at some point. All he does is find himself in good areas and, and continue to chase that golden boot even early in the season. So he, he's exciting to watch. Johnny Evans coming back will allow them to play in a back three and get those wing backs higher um, like Brendan Rodgers likes. And I love Tielemans. I think Tielemans is fantastic with, with Ndidi in there as a compliment. Um, they have what it takes to compete for a Champions League spot. Will they fall short? Maybe, but but they certainly have the ability. Like this four-two win, Robbie against Manchester United wasn't yeah. like a. It wasn't like a. Uh, they didn't deserve it. They were worth job, every yeah. ounce of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just get the sense that there's a bit of confidence coming back into the group. A few yeah. more players back there. I suppose the big challenge is going to be Europa League football and the yeah. Premier League for a squad that is is a little bare at the moment. But um, Brendan Rodgers certainly uh, will be happier after this weekend. Let's move things on to the community stadium at Brentford. It was the mm. West London derby, one that's not been played at, at the top level, I think going back to 1930s or 40s. Um, we expected Brentford to have a go. They did, certainly in the second half. It, it, it was like the kitchen sink going, going at Chelsea. Mm. Is this one of those days where we should sort of praise Chelsea for getting the goal, keeping their nose in front and finding a way to get all three points? Or should should we be a little bit more worried that maybe Lukaku's gone off the boil and weren't mm. not quite as fluid as we saw early on in the season? Where do you stand on that one? I think we should praise both Brentford and Chelsea for a really good game of football. Uh, you know, Brent, Brentford is ninth once again on merit. On merit, I say that they, they've they've been fantastic with two up top. Uh, you know, Bumo and Tony just give teams. A massive problem, and, and and we I highlight those two all the time. But that midfield, incredibly industrious. They use the ball well, and yet Chelsea were under it. And, and if and if they're going to be champions, if they think what's our ultimate goal, we have enough to become champions, and nothing less will 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 do. Then yeah, you're going to have games where you're going to have to grind out results away from home. Like by the way, has there ever been a champion in the Premier League who didn't need to grind out a result away from home against a team who gave everything? Of course. So. Yes, Thomas Tuchel's teams are usually set up properly. If there's any sort of issues tactically, no problem. He sorts it out as and when. This was just one of those games where 
they were up against it. And, yeah, they needed their goalkeeper to play fantastic. Mendy played out of his mind, kept a clean sheet once again, and they get away with three points. So, like, that's that's the mark of a champion. And I think we should credit Chelsea, one, for seeing out that challenge, and two, for Brentford for even posing such a threat. Yeah, I mean, when you when you think of, of these two teams, I think it was last May that, that Brentford were playing in the championship playoff final mm-hmm. to get out of that league, and, and, and Chelsea were, were playing at Champions League, winning against Manchester City. That's where the two teams have come from. Yeah. And these absolutely no doubt Brentford have given a, a good account of themselves. I thought they, they were a little bit maybe respectful of Chelsea in the first half, and mm. Chelsea had it, had, it, had it played with the wing-backs high. The two midfield players, Kovacic and Kante, went high against them and it pushed Brentford back a little bit and it took him a moment to sort it out because Timo Werner started finding little pockets and, and, and starting to hurt them but they, they worked it out they, they got more compact they got bodies in around that area and then they started to play and then they started to cause Chelsea some problems and one of the things I like about this Chelsea team and you've touched on it and Thomas Tuchel in a number of press conferences I hear him say about teams during games have to suffer yeah. And it's not that you suffer, it's how you suffer and how you come out of that. And and I remember the game against Spurs earlier this season where Spurs were way better than Chelsea in the first half. Chelsea came out second half, got the job done. To the, uh, this weekend, you, you just got the sense that, that when Brentford w- were at it, this Chelsea team kind of pulled together yeah. and said, we aren't going to get beat. We've got something yeah. to hold on to. Really good traits for, for the team. My, if I, I suppose the slight concern is that no goals in four now for Lukaku. Yeah. Um, some muscle injuries, I think, during international duty. Obviously, just worried about him. And and are there going to be enough goals from, from those players underneath him? Mm. Timo mm. Werner, again, uh, had another bit of opportunity score for Germany. Yeah. I think Macedonia, a uh, couple of goals against Macedonia midweek. But when it comes to Premier League finishing at the moment, his record doesn't stand up. And... Mm. If there's a period where, you know, I think those two number 10s, if they're going to play the system, have to combine and get 20-plus goals. Yeah. At the moment, I'm not sure where I see those goals, man. Well, look, I'll, I'll say this about Lukaku, and, and until he proves us wrong, we have to go with it. He, he, he He's a streaky striker. Yeah. He scores in bunches, right? So he, he naturally is going to get somewhere between 25 and 30, uh, excuse me, 20 and 30 mm-hmm. goals. I don't know if it's going to be in dribbles and drabs. I don't know if it's going to be one every two. He, he, ultimately, the average will come out, but he he scores goals in bunches, and he, mm. he will he will catch these streaks where he's just a little bit cold. That happens, yeah. you know. The, yeah. the the chance that falls to him in the second half, it's a tap in, and he ends up ballooning mm. over. You know, you take the good with the bad, but ultimately, you know, the goals will come for him. Yeah, for sure. A little word on uh, Thomas Frank and his team, who just keep bringing it. It's a refreshing way they play. They have different systems. Everybody understands their rules. And I think, but for my underappreciated player of the week, I think they would have got a point out of this because mm. you know God had a couple of efforts, one and overhead kick. But my underappreciated performer of the week goes to Edward Mendy. And I wanted to steal this away from you with the goalkeeping union and just feel a little bit of appreciation for a guy who's mm-hmm. come in. He plays Kep, who was, who was big money. Mm-hmm. is for me, um, and, and, and I'm talking about somebody who plays with goalkeepers rather than knowing goalkeepers, but it looks like no drama to me. There's, it, it, there's no real shouting at the defenders and histrionics and playing up. He does his job. It's no drama. He, say, mm-hmm. he makes saves. He, he doesn't do the dives for the camera. And 
he's got a bit of a will about him. He's got yeah. a bit of a like. You, you saw this game at the weekend, and, and it's one of those like he ain't going to get beat today. Mm. He, he's got that, that Superman cape on, him. and yeah. you must know it. Like you, you have those days, you have those periods where you're just in a sweet spot. Well, you know when I when I when I think about Mendy. Don't even go back to last year. He's, mm. he's got to be the best goalkeeper in, in the Premier League. Um, the amount of clean above sheets, Edison, above Al- Allison, you would say. For look, you? Uh, Allison rarely puts a foot wrong, you, yeah. you know. But he's certainly cha- he's certainly challenging that. Okay. Yeah, and and mm. and I you know I think they're neck and neck. Look, the thing about Mendy is this, and I heard this said quite a long time ago when I, when I first moved over to to the UK, uh, a top top goalkeeper coach said, I, I don't necessarily know how to carry categorize goalkeepers but i will tell you some play big and some play small and it, that, that sat with me for a long time because you know the goalkeepers who play big mendy plays big barely makes a mistake isn't always out barking orders unnecessarily just gets on with it Every, yeah. does everything pretty simple uh and yet in the in the moments he's he needs to stand up you just look and you think this guy is a monster so yeah i, I think he's certainly up there with the best and the best has obviously been allison over the last couple of years yep well played, uh, Edward Mendy. Great uh, signing for Chelsea. Matt clean sheet he's kept. I think it's twenty now in, in the short space of time. Uh, bang in form, and, and certainly if one end they aren't scoring, they look like they've got a goalkeeper who can keep them in games. The longest field goal ever attempted is seventy six yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also seventy six yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Moving things on, my friend, to Watford versus Liverpool. Mm. And sort of the Claudio Ranieri moving to Watford. Went a little bit under the radar with all the news from Newcastle. And, and, and all that, that was going on. And then they, they faced a Liverpool team that they beat, was it a title winning season when you know, Liverpool were on a 44-game unbeaten run? Mm. Uh, I think it was Watford who beat them 3-0. Uh, Ismael Assar got a couple of goals that day and gave them problems. And you, as you were looking at the game, there was no Alisson, there was no Fabinho. They weren't allowed into the country. They'd gone to mm-hmm. Spain. There's one or two injuries with, with players who've been away from international duty. Just wondered if Liverpool's focus might be strained. Got a big week coming up. Atletico Madrid in the Champions League and Liverpool and Manchester United in the Premier League. So this was one of them games I was thinking, hmm, we'll find out a little bit about Liverpool today. Mm-hmm. Like, are, are, mm-hmm. they, are they right at it? Are they yeah. focused on this one first before you know the, the mind goes to the other things? And wow, what a... Devastating performance, I thought. For when I talk about control of a football football game, Liverpool had it from yeah. moment one to moment ninety in the game. Credit Liverpool. Uh, l- l- let me let me jump to the caveat. Watford were woeful. You you you, you would think they were, made to, they were made to look woeful, but I hear you. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah. They, listen, uh, on on the day, Liverpool are always going to win, and they should, and we'll and we'll get to the reasons why why they won. Watford, the new manager, bounce. Okay, you're not necessarily going to turn Liverpool over and beat them. My expectation of any football club, but particularly when the manager turns over, is Liverpool's coming to our place. We've not been good. We've, we've so not been good that they replaced the manager. So it's on us as a team. Lay tackles in. Let them know they're in front. 
listen, we might get beat 5-0, but it's not going to be without a fight. And that's, a, that's the base standard for a footballer. And Watford didn't have that. That being said, Liverpool were good. They are good. They're genuine title contenders. I love the way they went about their business. They didn't splash a load of cash in the transfer market. They, they allowed their unfit players who had terrible injuries from last year, Matip, Van Dyke, get them back healthy. A healthy Van Dyke who's playing at his finest makes Trent Alexander-Arnold world-class, right? The two go hand-in-hand hand because of the way he can cover and the way he bails out Trent Alexander-Arnold on the other side. Robertson, we know, is fantastic. The relationship between Matic and Van Dyke, that's a championship-winning uh, partnership. Up front, is, for me, is where you, when you look at Liverpool, you think this is why they have a real chance. In At their best, it was Mane, Firmino, and Salah. That's it. Jota comes into the football club. Now you have four. Now you have four. I think Jota's the starting number nine. But guess what Bobby Firmino told me and everybody else? Yeah. I'm the starting number nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You play me. And if you play me, I'll get you goals. And by the way, I'll work hard as as the Jota. So, like, you think to yourself, this three-headed monster all of a sudden is a four-headed monster. (laughs) You know, Jordan Henderson, brilliant captain of that football club, gets a new contract. They sign him up. He's still the catalyst for everything that happens in that midfield. And – when you talk about squad rotation, you mentioned that at the top of, with Liverpool. What better manager than Jurgen Klopp? Mm-hmm. They go into a game. He makes changes. Young player. It doesn't matter. He puts you out there, smacks you on the back, and says, go do a job for the team. I trust you. He smiles at you. He hugs you. He gives these players so much confidence. Yeah, and it's interesting because um, we sat with Rebecca today, and she's done an interview inside the mind with Jurgen Klopp. You get a chance to listen to it. It's a great listen and a great insight. And as I was watching the interview that Rebecca did, it brought home the fact to me, Tim, and you'll know this being around Sir Alex and people like David Moyes, what, where the person who runs your football club is so important. They mm-hmm. set the tone for everything that happens. Mm-hmm. And last season when the injuries came and they had physical injuries. Yeah. It was also a bit of a, I thought, a spiritual and mental break at, yeah. at Liverpool. It wasn't quite right. The mojo wasn't right. You know, yeah. the pandemic came. We know Jurgen Klopp lost his mother during the period and he was away from Germany. I'm not sure how he was able to travel, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. And the manager wasn't quite the same. The club the club wasn't pulsing. It, it, it didn't have that, that beat. Yeah. They've dusted themselves down. They've got on with the business. I believe they had a good pre-season. They've got people fit. And you've talked about how important Van Dijk is, that they can squeeze the game, that mm-hmm. Trent Alexander-Arnold can play. But all that comes through the drive and the ambition of the manager. And the biggest compliment I gave Liverpool at the weekend was they were better players. They were more skillful. They, they had more goal opportunities. But the biggest thing I took away from Liverpool is they were hungrier than Watford. Mm-hmm. Every time Liverpool lost the ball, they were like rabid dogs trying to get yeah. it back. They're hungry. Yeah. Now, that's the kind of thing, when you add it to talent, that gives you a chance of going close. Yeah. And after it, we're eight games in. They're the only unbeaten team in the league. They've scored the most goals, 22 Premier League goals already. You've talked about that front four all looking quite all sharp. I mean, it's it's... From a team that were under the radar, everyone was sort of saying, mm, I'm not sure they go again. Mm. Right now in the scene, they're, they're in prime condition in the Premier mm-hmm. League. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I think? It, when it, back to their title-winning season, there there was always this thing. It, it reminded me of the old Manchester United where you just thought, Fergie time, they're always going to mm. score. Remember when, when Liverpool won a title? 
Yeah. They were scoring like, oh, like they were yeah, always going Villa and Villa. Sheffield they were always going to score. Yeah. Yes. I, I look at Chelsea, and I think they're a worthy contender to win the title. And they struggled yesterday. I don't see with the way that Liverpool play. Will Liverpool get get shut out? Sure. I'm sure at some point, yeah, absolutely. But they always look like scoring. They always look like there's that last pass. They're on, they're on the razor's edge. They're going to get a goal. And more than any other team in the league, when I looked at the, at the table, they're the ones who I just think when push comes to shove at the end of a match, when they need something, they find it because they have so many weapons. And as you mentioned, that press is hungry again. It's They're right up for it. It's intense. Again, that comes down to how the manager wants things to be. Having a fit Jordan Henderson out there leading the charge, they got a real chance. There's been a bit of a pub conversation just as we finish on Liverpool about Mo Salah. Is he the best player in the world? And mm. I think that's a debate. I mean, mm. you know, the Lewandowski's of the world and people would, would maybe be part of that discussion. Sure. But in terms of finishing, uh, he's definitely worked up there as, yeah. as, as a world-class finisher. So for you, which goal is better? The Man City goal a couple of weeks mm. ago where he rolls a couple of people, sets it up and smashes it with his right? Or the Watford goal where he yeah. wriggles out of a situation and bangs it in with his left? Well, I think it'll be nitpicking to, to choose, but I will I will choose. I, I, I always I always like when players come back inside on their op- on their strong foot, even though they're playing on the opposite side. What do I mean by that? In the city game, he wriggles away, does a little shimmy, goes down the outside on his weaker foot, and he's kind of stretching. You know, he's kind of reaching. The Watford goal, he was in complete control. He put his foot on the ball when three players were surrounding him. Then he did a shimmy, drove down to the line, goes to shoot, Sits Cathcart down, comes back, and as soon as he came back, I was like, "But you and I both both yeah. knew this is casual. This is like yeah. a training session. Bang, goal!" And so that kind of had everything for me. So I, I picked the Watford goal. Yeah, I might just go City. I think <laughs> I might just go City. Weaker foot, better yeah. opposition, better goalkeeper. But let's, we're nitpicking. We should just be be happy to admire them both. And yes, long may continue. Mo Salah still in great form. Let's move it to another team up there, challenging Manchester City versus Burnley. Um, I think we all we all know that goals are going to have to come from midfield players rather than strikers in mm. um, at Man City, even though they go with a false nine. Ferran Torres is out for a few months, yeah. so they're going to have to deal with that now. Doesn't help. But goals from Bernardo Silva and Kevin De Bruyne, I think, are, are, are useful, and it's important that those guys are going to get near to double figures if mm. you know City are going to win the title. Yeah. But I want to I want to move this conversation on because it was a pretty routine-ish win for, for mm-hmm. City against Burnley. I know they scored in the first 12 minutes, Man City, and we're probably expecting them to run on it and make it easy. But Burnley mm-hmm. are, are difficult to play against. But I was interested, kind of before the game, I think we've touched on it, with Raheem Sterling. Yeah. Making noises that he's not happy, um, quite happy at the football club, uh, mm-hmm. wants to play more games. It's really interesting, this one, Tim, because as I was looking at Raheem Sterling, I thought I was thinking internationally he's like, one of the first names on, on the English school team, yeah. you know, with the Canes and maybe a Mount and, and Harry Maguire. But for his club, he's struggling mm. to play on a regular basis. Mm. Now, I just wondered, like, if, if I put you in that position, you, you're captain, you know, playing in, in goal for America, you're playing mm. regularly, you're playing well. But mm. for your club team, you're not playing so much. You're in and mm. out of the team. What, what, what's Tim Howard doing in that situation? Probably what Raheem Sterling is doing, um, the worrying part for me, for both sides. I think Raheem mm. Sterling is a top player. I think he's a brilliant player for England. He's been sensational for, for Man City 
down the years. The worrying thing for me is I don't think – I think oftentimes footballers react before they think. This isn't one of those cases for me, Robbie. Mm-hmm. I think Raheem Sterling has been at the football club long enough. He's been coddled by by Pep Guardiola. He's been chastised by Pep Guardiola. So he's seen both sides. And he's also seen players come and go who've been in the same situation. Sergio yeah. Aguero comes to mind, right? So he's no fool. He knows that he's playing with fire, right? And so this feels like it's going to be a standoff. Raheem Sterling didn't say – hey, I'm not getting games, and maybe I need to move away from Manchester City. He didn't say that flippantly. He didn't say that by accident. He knew what he was saying. So I feel like there might be some sort of fight being picked with Pep Guardiola and, and vice versa. I think Pep Guardiola knows what he's doing. He's got he's got more money uh, you know, to spend than God. He can pick any player he wants. If a player's out of form, he, he can just brush him to the side and it's on to the next guy because he's got world-talented players. So I think this feels like it's going to come to a head. That being said... Ron Torres breaks his foot. Yeah. Okay. Now I have to play Raheem Sterling. And Raheem Sterling has got to make sure his head's right to play. Now, whatever happens after, okay. But there's gotta be this love fest has to happen again because I think I think Raheem Sterling is going to now get the time that he's been hoping for. So I just hope I just hope both sides it can it, it can end amicably. And by that I mean Raheem Sterling playing well, getting picked every week, uh, and scoring goals. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I think there's a situation maybe Jack Grealish is coming. Is he the new kid in town? He's playing regularly on that on that left-hand side. For Ryan Sterling, I, I was sort of listening to uh, Pep's press conference uh, at the weekend and, and he was asked, obviously, by the journalist about his reaction. And he said something that, 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 that made me smile. He, he said, no, right, Raza is so, so important, so, so important to our team. And I was laughing to myself because I thought, he said exactly the same about Leroy Sané, and he said yeah. exactly the same about Sergio Aguero, and both of them went out of the football club. So I'm not sure if you want Pep saying he's so so important to us. Well, Pep, Pep, Pep cried at the end of last season when Aguero <laughs> left, but he didn't yeah. play him for two seasons. So yeah, yeah. I hear you. Um, but it'd be interesting with, with Ryan Sterling and whether maybe a, a move abroad at this stage of his career. Uh, he's a lot more mature now. He's got his family. He maybe feels he's in a position where he could go overseas and, 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 and embrace that for a couple of years. Will that make him a better player? Just going to be interesting to see how that one plays out at Man City. As we know, uh, with no Harry Kane, with, with playing a false nine and no Ferran Torres now, it certainly be a surprise if, if Raheem Sterling was allowed to leave if yeah. he get near to the, the January window. Um, from Burnley's point of view, another half-decent performance. But again, mm-hmm. it's another defeat. One of only three teams now, I think it is, in, in the Premier League, not to have won a Premier League game. I still think we, we all believe in Sean Dyche. We all yeah. believe in the methodology. Yeah. We all believe in the way they'll do it. And you get the sense they're one win away from sparking again and, and being out of trouble. But, you know, the longer this goes, the, the, the more worries for, for, for Sean Dyche. So yeah. they'll want um, to get to, get to uh, three points pretty soon. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Let's move on. I suppose we have to say it's the big story of mm. the week, the big story of the season. Some are saying it's one of the biggest stories in Premier League history. 
where Newcastle United have been taken over by the Public Investment Fund uh, that has links to the Kingdom of of Saudi Arabia. Um, We know, and and Rebecca talked extensively of it, that assurances have been given to the Premier League to say that the Saudi state will have no influence uh, over the football club, won't be involved in in decision-making in the football club, that they're two separate Mm -hmm, entities, mm -hmm. and that's the, the reason that the deal was allowed to go through. We know... There's issues around human rights and discrimination in mm-hmm. the area. Those shouldn't be brushed aside. They are part of the overall conversation of what people have thought yeah. about the takeover. And um, we spoke about it on, on the shows. Um, Miss Musty and I spoke about it on the podcast. I suppose at this point, we, we, we are, without brushing it under the carpet, we are talking more the football mm-hmm. and what we saw today at St. James's Park. And mm-hmm. it probably couldn't got any better with the start but kind of ended in a bit of a familiar way. And, and mm. the other thing we have, to, we have to mention is there was a medical emergency and we're believing that there was a cardiac arrest, uh, a gentleman, a, a fan, a Newcastle fan, but fortunately we hear he, he was up yes. uh, and, and uh, awake when he, when he went to the hospital and yes. fingers crossed that everything seems to be going right there. But from a football point of view, all that said, Tim, what, what's your overview of the first glimpse of the new Newcastle? Well, yeah, you, you, you eloquently stated it there. Um, I think there'll be a lot of mixed emotions from everybody uh, in the football world, you know, bearing in mind uh, all the things outside the pitch that go into this takeover uh, with this current group, PIF. Um, I, I hope I, I hope the Premier League got the right assurances and put all the, all, all, all the right... Um, things in place to make sure that if, if those assurances aren't met, um, you know, that, that this group can be disqualified. You don't want that. Of course, nobody wants that, you know, um, but this is the real world. And so hopefully, and not hopefully, the Premier League have been satisfied with those assurances. So we'll move on with, um, you know, with, with that in mind. From a football side, that they need to stay up. You know, Robbie, I, I worry. I mean, look at Newcastle with three points, no wins. Yeah. Um Gosh, they have a plan A, which is to buy the club and turn it into a mega club. Mm. I think plan A is going to work eventually. A distant plan B, they'd have thought, well, this has been a relegation-threatened club. They've yo-yoed a couple times in recent history. Do we have a plan B for what if we buy this club for an absorbent amount of money and they go down? I think they do. I don't think they think about it very often. Um, and and so, so that that being said, this club needs to solidify themselves as a, as, a, as a Premier League team next season. And on the on the balance of what we've seen so far, they're not there. They're not there. And that's, what again, what worries me for Steve Bruce and his future. Um, these players also know, by the way, big names are coming through, the, through that door as a manager yeah. and, and as a player. So their jobs are in jeopardy. Not in jeopardy. Their job, most of their jobs are gone. We've seen that with other uh, massive money takeovers. And so – the worry is this current team, maybe with with you know, a little bit of of, of uh, boost in January, but this current team has to get stay in the Premier League, and I don't know if they're good enough. So then, what happens? A manager has to come in and and get the be- best out of this team, and that's what worries me for Steve Bruce's job because I don't think he's that manager currently. And and, and the downside of that is the players know that, and if the players know that, they're going to turn up to work every day. I mean, yeah, you're supposed to be proud, you're supposed to earn your wage and you're supposed to play for the supporters. I believe all that, but collectively as a group, we've not seen that. Yeah. And my worry, I agree with, with 
must you say that? I mean, in terms of, of my worry is that, you know, great scenes before the game and, 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 and the ownership, some of the ownership yeah. group were represented in director's box. Mm-hmm. And the, the thing, you know, goes alight after two minutes, Callum Wilson gets the goal. It's like, oh, here we go. And when we, where we end up um, after the, the medical um, emergency that, that happened, the delay in the game, Spurs getting three goals, Newcastle getting one own goal uh, from Eric Dyer that got them back into the game. Um, but where we end up is another Newcastle defeat, another quite disappointing team performance, and as you say, another game without a win. We're eight games now into mm-hmm. the season. Newcastle haven't had a one. So mm-hmm. it kind of feels to me like new ownership, new money, new excitement. But on the pitch, same old Newcastle. Yeah. And, if, and if same yeah. old Newcastle continues for another eight games and we get to 16 games and Newcastle are, are, are not much better off, let me tell you something. We have a problem. Mm-hmm. We have the richest club in, 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 in the world playing in the championship if we're not careful. Yeah, it's, not, it's not good. I mean, it's not good. Um, and so I suppose the, the big question is, and, and again, shirt and ties are off, a little bit more relaxed setting. Steve Bruce mm. is kind of the elephant in the room. I mean, yeah. many thought he wouldn't be in charge today the thousands game. I think both as football people and as people yeah. who know Steve and yeah. uh, have been around the game, we're pleased he got that game in. It, it, it's a great milestone to hit and, and, and recognition yeah. of, of what he's done. I've said before, you can't be lucky uh, in management and do a thousand games. No. So you'll get far enough for. So fair play to Steve Bruce for that. I started the day with our boot room discussions thinking that he might have a month or so while they sort things out, while the, 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 the ownership group get together, decide on the right person and the right yeah. structure. What I saw today slightly surprised me, Tim, in the at 70 odd minutes, there, there was a bit of there was a Bruce out stuff starting. Yeah. There was a, the, a bit of a disappointment that, that was around the ground that I didn't think mm. we would get with the new, mm. the new takeover. I get the sense that Steve Bruce is really hurting inside. He looked emotional after game. Yeah. That, that, you know, 50,000 people every week, he goes to the football club he's loved and supported. 50,000 people don't want him there. Yeah. Many, many more thousands, if not millions on, on, on social media, don't want him as their manager of their football club. That can't put you in a good place, mate. You must wake up every morning with a bit of a knot in your stomach. You know what? Yeah, shirt and tie are off. These people annoy me and bore me. Football is fickle, absolutely. And as a fan, I, I'm probably I probably fall into that category as well. Here's the thing: you said you don't coach a thousand games, manage a thousand games because you'd be found out. Steve Bruce has given to this game as a player and a manager more than most people could ever even ponder. Is he the right fit for Newcastle? Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. It's not his fault, by the way. He's 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 done what he what he could with what he has. He finished. Uh, yeah, I know they've been threatened by relegation most of the season. The t- twice he, two, two seasons he's been there. They finished 13th and 12th, just just below mid-table. For what he's working with, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Maybe not good enough for, for, for Newcastle Football Club and his size. That's okay. But I tell you what, he has taken so much abuse, it's disgusting. You just mentioned that there. He's a human being. He's given everything. He's given everything, and so I tell you what, for my money, if that's my if that's my good friend, and I've co- and I've played against Steve Bruce yeah. many a times, I've shaken his hand, I've had a word with him. I like Steve Bruce a lot, 
both as a, as a man and, a, and as a manager. And I tell you what, if I'm a friend of his, I'm telling walk out with your dignity because you're better than this. You're better than this. But the fact yeah. of the matter is, so there, walk away from a check. <laughs> there's, there's a massive payout here, you know, maybe, maybe close to $10 million. So, you know, I also understand someone giving me a smack and saying, Hey, no one's walking away from that. So that's okay. I'm okay with that. Um, but I still think it's, it's disgusting the, the the abuse that he's taken both in, in, you know in the stadium and online. It's terrible. Yeah, I, I just think there might be a, a, a meeting of the minds where I think the Newcastle ownership group could sit down with Steve and then work something out, and whether it's ten million, five million, six, whatever the number, yeah. and, and, and and make a mutual separation. Where it just feels to me like the longer Steve Bruce remains around this football club the more negativity is going to be attracted to it. Steve Correct. Bruce is seen as part of the Mike Ashley era. Correct. And everybody wants rid of that. It's yes. been 14 years of mistrust, of bad management. And I think people just... And I just feel for Steve almost like, yeah. take yourself out of this and, yeah. and, and let them move on. And if it's Graham Jones has to take over or you have to get somebody into him. I mean... It was quite funny that we, we heard this morning that Jose Mourinho has come out and said how he has a great love affair for Newcastle, having worked with oh. Bobby Robson. And I'm thinking, hmm. No surprise. Jose Mourinho, could he just, could we just see him back? Would he be the kind of guy with a global presence, with a huge yeah. attraction, yeah. which would grab headlines and could start the build of what we're talking of this football club? Could Jose be the man? Yeah, I mean, he, bring, he, he brings he, – he attracts eyeballs and interest. And, and you know, I, I, I'm not sure right now. Maybe maybe it is. You know, maybe this is what, what they want. Right now, I just think there's there's a, a solidification that needs to happen. Mm. They need to stay in the, in the league. And it's not about playing attractive football at this point. It's not about well, blitzing. Jose Miami. doesn't particularly. Either. He doesn't. Well, and, and maybe that's the, maybe that is the attraction. <laughs> maybe attraction yeah. Come in, park the bus, mm. get us results do the antics on the touchline and in the press conferences that it's going to gain the attention and then, you know, give you some money to work with in the summer. Mm. I don't know, but I, I just don't know if Steve Bruce yeah. is the manager uh, here forward. Yeah. And that's uh, there was another top team involved in this game yeah. as well. Let's just give a little bit of love to, to Spurs because uh, they needed this result uh, when it takes them back up to fifth mm. now in mm. the Premier League table on 15 points and a milestone for Harry Kane. Got a few of the critics off his back with his first Premier League goal of the season. I think at first he thought he may have been offside. He had a wry <laughs> smile at the linesman as he flicked the ball in. But we we had a great graphic to show that he was actually played onside by Man mm. Manchio. The goal stood. It's his first Premier League goal of the season. You get the sense now he's off and running. Uh, apparently, I think that's six goals in eight appearances at St. James's Park. Yeah. So, you know, like goalkeepers who quick clean sheets at places, strikers yeah. have places they like to go. And Harry, obviously, he's got his goal. Um, still bitty for me, Spurs. There's still a little bit of work to do for, to Nuno. Um, yeah. They don't look as good when they have the ball, almost like they, they prefer the opposition to have it in count. Yes. I think they've got to, I think they have to mend that ways a little bit because good teams now don't give you the ball. Good teams can hurt mm. you. So I think he's got to find that balance, Nuno. Maybe what he did at Wolves is, is not always going to work what he does at, at Tottenham. Yeah. Uh, look, I've been very critical of, of Tottenham this year. Um, Probably rightfully so, but I, but I, you know, I look at them now and I stand corrected a little bit. They're, you know, they're in fifth place. They three wins, um, and then three losses, and now two wins, right? And so, after the three losses, it doesn't look great. With the two yeah. wins, you know, sandwiching that, it it now looks much much better. Um, 
you know, Kane getting a goal and assist. That's what we've been hoping for. That look-up play with that front four has been brilliant the last season, and it's been non-existent. And, and look, Son has got a, amongst the goals, four goals. He, he's he's done really well. And Dombele is the one for me because yeah. I mentioned this today in, in studio to you. He frustrates me because yeah. in his sleep, he can just ghost past people. It's so easy for him. You know, you and I have played with people. I had to work really hard. Yeah, I had to work really yeah. hard. Me too, man. Yeah. But there were certain players that yeah, I was, it was so easy, easy so to yeah. envy yourself because you yeah. can just jump out of the stadium. You can run past people. You, you, like, it comes so naturally to him, and, and he turns it on and off like a faucet. And you can't do that as a footballer. If he really dug in and he showed us that every single week for 90 minutes, my gosh. He, mm. He's an incredible yeah. talent, and we saw that today. And so that gives me hope. Yes, I don't think I don't think they're good with the ball. They don't enjoy having the ball, as you said. Um, defensively, I'm not sure that back four is very stout at all. I think there's a few actors in that back four. Um, but they have enough bodies behind the ball to play the way Nuno likes, and if they can break the way they did with that front four, there is hope for Spurs. And I say there's hope. They're in fifth place. So yeah. on them. And five wins, all the five wins have been by a single goal margin. Yeah. So there's not much in there at the moment. But um, good result for Spurs today. Yeah. Party poopers at St. James's Park. Uh, just moving on to a couple of the other games. Uh, Aston Villa 2, Wolves 3. Aston Villa were 2-0 up in that one. Um, with 10 minutes to go, Wolves came back, um, got an equaliser through Cody, got a winning through a Neves, flexed free kick. Big day for Bruno Large and Wolves in, in the West Midlands derby. Norwich nil, Brighton nil. Norwich continued to struggle. I think it's only two goals, isn't it, for, for Norwich? I think that might be some kind of record from the eight games scored this season. No wins for them. Brighton, happy enough with the point. That keeps them in the top four. And Southampton won Leeds nil. Our good friend Ralph Hasenhurtle with his vestige, according to the <laughs> waistcoat, putting up the side, gets his goal for Bromer uh, against the Leeds team, who were having a bit of a struggle of it this year after after what we saw yeah. last, last season. Uh, the final game I want to talk to, and, and obviously a team dear to your heart, Everton nil, West Ham won. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we all we all looked at this game and thought, well, two even teams, two good managers, experienced managers who, who've been down the track. Uh, an Everton team that's in decent nick at a 1-1 draw with Manchester United. A, a West Ham team that lost late to a Brentford goal at, uh, last time out, but are in good shape, going well in, in the Europa. And your old, old gaffer, David Moyes, comes up chumps again, mate. I like to look at West Ham. You know, mm-hmm. I like to look. Uh, David Moyes prefers not to rotate his squad. He doesn't prefer to have superstars. He wants players from lower leagues, players who have been outcast at other clubs, to come in, bond together because of that history that they have as being outcast, as, as maybe being second tier, use that as motivation, and then that belief that he instills in this team. And you see this team taking shape. Um, I think, you know, Declan Rice and Suchek, you, you know, you talk about midfield partnerships, you know, what Man United's missing. I mean, they're missing a midfield partnership that can just play off each other in a yin and yang type thing. They could sit in front of the back four. They're responsible. Um, you know, Love Antonio. I love him. I love the fact that he didn't. You know, a year and a half ago, he was. He said, "I'm not even an out-and-out striker." He sure is now. You know, and, and getting getting contributions from Fernals, um and from Ben Rama, who's who's been sensational this season. And so, uh, you know, they they are they are doing it in the proper way, and they're going well in Europa League as well. Yeah. Because I think sometimes when you talk about a squad that isn't terribly big, and listen, when he's making changes off the bench, it's usually like Yarmolenko. 
who doesn't have a defensive bone in his body, who never really tracks back. So David Moyes and West Ham are kind of working with a 12, 13 player rotation. There's not a lot there, but somehow they continue to keep going and continue to believe, but they're, but, but they have this collective where you look and you say, they're so unselfish with each other. You can see that in their play. It's really interesting because I, I read something, I think it was Thursday or Friday about this game, and, and somebody wrote, oh, it's the dinosaur derby, the two dinosaur <laughs> managers. And, and I was laughing to myself because I, I knew what people were saying. But mm. part of me was thinking, well, that, that's slightly disrespectful because what these two managers do and have done is give teams structure. You've worked under yes. David Moyes. I've seen David Moyes work. Uh, I used to go and watch him a couple of times at Preston when I was first doing coaching badges and I'd heard about him. I saw what he's, he's done at Everton over the term that was good enough to get him a, a shot at the Manchester United job. He puts structures in place mm-hmm. that help the collective team, but mm-hmm. also allow individuals to get the best out of them. Rafa's yeah. very similar with what he's done at, at Everton as well. And when I look at these these two managers, I think they're getting more from players who have shown in, have been inconsistent. When I look mm-hmm. at the West Ham team, West Ham were always about one-way players. When they got the ball, they were really, really good. When yeah. they didn't have the ball, most of them didn't care. Yeah. Yeah, somebody else will defend. David Moyes has got the likes of uh, Bowen, Ben Rama, uh, Fornells, uh-huh. Michael Antonio is a natural, with Declan Rice in there and, and Suchek, as you've talked about, that engine in midfield. He's got a real drive and press and winning the ball back. And then they've got players who can play. Then they've got players who can, yep. who can make things happen. I thought they were excellent today, certainly in the first half when they didn't score. Uh, the goal ends up coming through, through, through a set piece. But I thought they were markedly better than Everton today, mm-hmm. which would be a little bit worrying for, for um, Rafa. I know he's missing Calvert-Lewin yeah. and Richarlison, but he's, he's, had better, he, he's, he's had better days. It will be... I thought was poor. Sure. Um, Damari Gray was better when he went out on the left-hand side and caused more of a problem in the second half. But um, I thought it was a disappointing result for Everton, who've done well at home so far this season, and, and that defeat will, will hurt a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, Everton aren't aren't dissimilar to, to West Ham with the dinosaur managers and all that. Yeah. But the team, they're a small squad. I think I think Everton probably used more players, but I don't think their squad is particularly deep. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was disappointing, and, and, they, and they didn't – Never really got to grips with the game at home. That that's going to be a massive disappointment. Mm-hmm. Look, I do think Decore is is better in the two with Allen, and now we're seeing the better parts of Decore's game. You know, getting getting himself forward because he is a box to box style midfielder. Look with with Richarlison and Dominic Calvert Lewin missing, Everton's going to miss a lot of spark, right? And so we talk about having that small squad. One or two players go out, levels drop. That's just natural, you know, and, and today we saw that with the way that, that West Ham pushed forward, and, and ultimately that's how that's how the goal came who, through through my underappreciated performer of the week, Angela Ibana. You know, he scored he scored two game-winning goals last season, scored a game-winning goal today. I mean, we showed in the highlights massive blocks down the other end, yeah. sliding and getting his body in the way to preserve a clean sheet. I mean, that's a proper David Moyes player. I'm telling you because mm-hmm. I know the man – like a, yeah. like the back of my hand, he wants his center has to defend, stick their face in front of things, and go down the other end and get goals, and that's his expectation. And 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 well done to Agbana. Yeah, it's a really good choice because you know Musty and I always try and pick an underappreciated performer who people wouldn't have been talking about. <laughs> you know, and, and yes, he got the goal today, but he doesn't he doesn't get the headlines. I mean, Zuma's come in now, and he'll be the maybe the star centre back. Dawson's 
been praised over the time. Then we talk about Rice, we talk about Antonio, we talk about Ben Rama playing well and Bowen and Fornells and all these people. And he's one of those voices that uh, you, you never hear too much about, Agbonna, mm-hmm. but plays a really important role. As you say, that's one or two blocks in. If Eric Dyer could watch tape of Angela yes. Ogbonna yes. and learn a little bit about the art of defending, what it, what it takes to defend, mm-hmm. where you have to be, how you read danger, how you block things, how you put pressure on people. Just those little arts of, of, of craft that, mm-hmm. that he needs to get to become the player. And you're right, it's a really good shout, Angelo Ogbonna, uh, underappreciated performer of the week, because he's one of them that, that wouldn't be, won't be winning any player of the years or no. player of the months <laughs> or anything, but a, an important cog in, in what David Moyes is doing. And as you say, very much a Moyesy type of player. Listen, mate, we're going to have to leave it there. We could carry on for another hour, but another dramatic week in the Premier League. When we got a first glimpse of what Newcastle looked like under new ownership, we got another glimpse of the finishing power of Mo Salah, and we get a little more pressure falling on the shoulders of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as United get one point from a possible nine in the Premier League. Look out for our next podcast. That's on Thursday, October the 21st, and that's going to be from Los Angeles as we prepare for the next Premier League Mornings Live Fan Fest over there. So make sure, if you get a chance, come out to the Fan Fest, see Tim, myself, Robbie Musto, Lady Lowe. We'll be there having some fun and presenting the game. So if you get a chance, go online on NBCSports.com and uh, register for tickets there. But for now, I'm Earl. He's Timmy. We were the standing two Robbies today. Thanks for watching and listening. Be safe, be healthy. It's a good night from me. It's a good night from him. Good night. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.